Okay, we are still doing our series on eternal life. What's next? And we're talking about the future, actually your future, my future, heaven, Hades, new earth and heaven. We haven't gotten to all these, by the way. Death, many related topics. The last few weeks, we've looked at some of the words of Jesus concerning the future. And by the way, his words we should take especially, you know, uh, very seriously. We have seen he talks quite a bit about the future and how we must be prepared for it. And again, we're talking about future as when he comes back. So two weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the dinner in Luke 14. We uh, the net, Last week, we looked at the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22. And they're very similar, although there were some significant differences, right? And uh, this week and next... I want to continue talking about some of the things that Jesus has said. Uh, there's so much here that I believe that God wants us to, to see. Uh, I mean, actually, my original intention was that I was going to go back starting today about talking about the new earth, the new heaven, and, and, uh, and some of that. But just as I got to thinking and looking at some of these other passages, I thought, we really need to include this. We really need to include this. And uh, so it's going to be this week and next week before uh, before we kind of get back to heaven itself. But these things are very, very important as well. So uh, in Matthew 25, there's a trilogy of parables that I want to look at. Now there's a trilogy of parables in Luke 15, where they're all similar, have this making the same point, but just in different angles. And we see the same thing in Matthew 25. The background for Matthew 25 is Matthew 24. And because these two chapters, and I'll tell you they're very long, are what some call the Olivia Discourse. It was a, it was a teaching God, Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives. It was given right before Jesus went to the cross, probably two or three days before. Uh, it was given to his, to his disciples, only his disciples. And it was in response to the disciples' question about what comes next and when does he return? In fact, let's kind of take a look at uh, verse 3 of Matthew 24. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? And at the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them in verse 4, See to it that no one misleads you. Okay. Because it's easy to be misled, especially as we see as the days get closer to the very end for people to be misled and even deceived concerning what is going to be happening next. And so Jesus is, 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 is pretty clear there. So, uh, uh, and you know, I, I think it's, it's obvious. In fact, I feel like one of the, clearest signs that we're getting close to the end is that a lot of people, a lot of Christians are being misled. They are being deceived, especially as to what's going to be happening later. So the last part of Matthew 24 is important too. So today what we're going to do, we're going to look at that passage into Matthew 24, and then we're going to look at the parable of the 10 virgins. And then next week, we're going to look at the other two parables in Matthew 25. Okay. Now, it's obvious 
that Jesus wants us to know what is happening next. And he wants us to be prepared for it. And I know sometimes people kind of feel like, oh, it doesn't really matter about what's happening next. We're, we're going to find out when it comes. Well, Jesus didn't quite see it that way. He wanted his disciples to know. And in fact, he took, right before he was getting ready to leave the earth, he took two long chapters and talked about, you know, how we need to be prepared. Now, one other thing I want to mention. Parables are a powerful way to get a message across, especially concerning how we are to think and conduct ourselves. Uh, because why? we remember stories, don't we? And a story is worth, what, a thousand words, they say, you know. Uh, but it's important, though, that we don't make uh, conclusions theologically or doctrinally from just parables. Uh, you know, that's one reason why a lot of people just avoid parables because, well, I don't understand that, you know. Uh, for example, you know, there's references to, you know, uh, those who are not being faithful to be, um, you know, sent out to the outer darkness. You know, I'm not so sure that's the main point and it would be wrong for us to try to establish doctrine on things like that. But it is important for us to discover the main point of the parable. And by the way, I'm going to tell you right now, the main point of all three of these parables is this. We can't just be living for today. We have to have a longer view of life, one that stretches into eternity. If not, we have taken a path of self-destruction. I say, well, that's, that's, that's kind of a heavy thing to say. Well, yeah, I know. And I think these three parables are going to confirm that that's exactly what he's saying here. Okay, so in Matthew 24, first, starting verse 42, and let me just give you a little bit of context here. Jesus, chapter 24, starts off, the disciples asking the question about, you know, when are you coming back? When's going to be the end? When are all these things going to happen? And he talks that he is going to be coming back to set up his kingdom. He talks about the nations being reached. He talks a little bit about Israel and the fig leaf, you know, the fig tree um, getting its leaves on. He talks about this tribulation that the world's never seen before. <clears throat> he talks a little bit about we don't know the hour or the day. And then verse 42, therefore, be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. He says this probably four or five times in these two chapters. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his Master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master's not coming for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour which he does not know, there it is again, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. 
in that place they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so I, I'm just going to summarize this very briefly. There's basically three things that are said really over and over. Starting in verse uh, 42, therefore be on the alert. Be on the alert. Be on the alert. And then you also must be ready. He says that a couple of verses later. And then also be faithful with what God has entrusted to you. And all these, by the way, are in context of what? Jesus coming back and what he has next for us. He's not talking about be ready for the next opportunity that might kind of come for your job or, you know, be, be, be on the alert for this or that. He's talking about his return to earth and his setting up the kingdom. And I think the warning is very clear that we are not to think, oh, he's not coming soon. Or I have plenty of time to get ready. You know, let me just take care of this and let me do that. No, that's not the case. But for the one who's ready and has been faithful, he promises that person is going to be blessed. And he'll put that person in charge of much more. Verse 45, let's just read it again. Verse 45, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you he, that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So he's blessed and you could be in charge of more when that happens. Okay, so in light of that, let's go to the first of the parables, the parable of the 10 virgins. And let's just kind of read the first 13 verses here. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. By the way, uh, when it says 10 virgins, it's talking about like 10 young girls, you know. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flask along with their lamps. Now, while the, bri while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there's a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will be not, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then. By the way, we've kind of seen that phrase over and over, haven't we? For you do not know the day nor the hour. And we've seen that too. Okay. So there's probably a lot of things we could say about this um, parable. I know some people kind of get into some of the fine details. This means this and this means that. And again, I just want to caution us that I don't think the parables were meant to give us, you know, uh, you know, doctrinal truth that we, you know, because there's, there's, an, there's an allegory there. So we've got to be careful there. But it's also very clear what is happening. Here's some things we know for sure. 
This is about the kingdom. It says the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to 10 virgins. You know, also there's a reference in verse 10 to the wedding feast. So we know this is talking about when Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom and there's going to be that wedding feast and that lavish banquet that just goes on and on. Another thing we know, five were foolish and five were prudent. Actually, some translations will uh, say five were wise. Both are pretty accurate. All had lamps burning at the beginning. The lamps, of course, represent light, but I think they also represent the fire that we have for him. And the question we need to ask us is, are we burning for him? You know, oil represents the Holy Spirit is needed to keep that fire going, right? So often we talk about, you know, there's a fire inside of me for, for the Lord, or, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I have a burning love for him. And of course, what keeps that fire or that flame or that love going, it takes the oil, the Holy Spirit to do that, right? Okay, so they all kind of started with the lights lit. They're all burning. The difference is that the wise ones had extra oil in flask along with their lamps. The foolish did not. They allowed their lamps to burn out. The wise one, ones kept their fire or their lamps burning. And that brings us to a very important question that we all have to ask ourselves. Many begin their walk, you probably did, with a fire for the Lord, an enthusiasm for Jesus, the bridegroom. We read the word every day, you know, with enthusiasm. We prayed constantly. Uh, you know, whenever we had a problem or something, we just trusted God was going to work it out. You know, we love the fellowship of the saints, you know, the fellow believers, because being with them encouraged us. You know, it, uh, it's something that just put more fuel on the fire. Remember those days? Are you still living that way? That's a question we need to ask ourselves because there sometimes we allow that fire or we allow ourselves, our lamps to run dry of that fire, that enthusiasm, that love that once characterized our life with Christ. Often this is very subtle. Usually it's unnoticeable. Because why? Because we might even be doing some of the same thing, doing the same things. But inside, if we're really honest with ourselves, we know something has changed. We don't have that fire. We don't have that enthusiasm uh, that we had once. Basically, our lamps are burning low or maybe they burn dry. You know, they're no longer burning. Is this common? Well, I think according to this parable, and again, we don't want to, we've got to be careful. We can't just make a doctrine on this. But, uh, you know, perhaps half the people who started waiting for the Lord could be running out of that fire. And I think it's especially true as what? As they approached midnight, the hour when the Lord was coming back. And so I think, yes, it's very common. And I think it's, uh, I think around the world, Christians in the church, 
this is one of the things that I think is God's trying to wake us up on. You know, uh, there's other passages that speak of this danger. We could probably have a message in every one of these. These are passages that we probably all know fairly well. So I'm just going to go through them really quick. But let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm in 1 Corinthians. Okay. Uh, let's look at verse 2 and 3. For I am jealous with you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. I like that. You know, that that uh, that simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You know, that to me, I kind of think about loving Jesus, adoring Jesus, just wanting to hear from him all the time. But deception can what? Sneak up on us. And what does it say? It can lead us astray. In fact, this talks about the serpent, which we know is Satan, that by his craftiness, he deceived Eve, and he's doing the same thing with the saints of God. Actually, that's one of his primary strategies, is to get us distracted from our, how does it say it? The simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You know, he may not kind of, you know, come up and just say, why don't you stop believing in Jesus or something like that. It's getting us, it's leading us astray. And we've got to be careful of the enemy's plans and tactics. Actually, this is probably another subject, but sometimes I get concerned that Christians, when they talk about the work of the enemy, they talk about what he's doing out in the world. Oh, with this government, he's doing this and he's doing that. And he's fighting against our young people. And, and you know, and, and, and look at our schools. And I'm not saying that Satan doesn't have a role in some of that. But when you study the New Testament, the primary target of Satan and his demons happen to be us. And this is one of the primary things he wants to do is to lead us astray from that simplicity and purity of Christ to Christ. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. And this is Jesus talking. He's got a message to seven churches. The first church he mentions is Ephesus. In verse 4 he says, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Now, if we were to read a couple of verses above, we'd see that oh, the church of Ephesus, there's a lot of things they were doing right. But there's one thing that was a great concern to Jesus. They had left their first love. That love or that burning that they had, that enthusiasm they had for Jesus at the beginning, somehow, well, how does it say it? They had fallen away from that. And I think if it was true then, it's true today. And Jesus, he calls us to repent. And he says, if we don't, he's going to remove our lampstand from us. 
Pretty powerful, isn't it? And what's the remedy? Repent. Luke 10. This is another common passage. And uh, it's the story of Mary and Martha, two disciples of Jesus. Let's read it starting verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Okay, so again, we won't go into all the details of this, but what's Mary doing? She's seated at the Lord's feet and she's listening to every word he is speaking. In fact, the implication, she can't get enough of, of hearing from him. She had her lamp burning, didn't she? It was burning bright. That's what God wants for all of us. And Martha, well, it says she was distracted with so many things. She was worried. She was bothered about so many things. Does that describe us? I'm afraid it probably describes a lot of us. And you know, it's kind of interesting that it says so many things because a lot of times our defense or our self-justification is, no, I don't think I've put anything over Jesus. Maybe not one thing, but maybe so many things. You put them all together and what? Our focus, our enthusiasm for Jesus is what? It's just kind of been put to the side. That's what he's talking about. And when Martha complains to Jesus, what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. And that's what Mary's doing. She's sitting at my feet. She's listening to my every word. In fact, she wants more and more. That's what I want for my disciples. I think that's basically what Jesus is saying. It's keeping your lamp lit. Let's go one more passage. Let's go to Psalm 27. And this is David. And um, verse 4. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house all the days of my life, house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Okay, here we see that there's only one thing that David asked. Kind of reminds me of the one thing that Jesus said was necessary. What Mary was doing. It wasn't so many things. It was one thing. And David's saying, there's only one thing I want. And that is, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I don't want to miss any of my days. I want to be in the presence of the Lord. I want to behold his beauty. He wanted to have his lamp lit and have it burning bright for him, right? You see, we're talking about keeping that flame, that fire going on inside of us, that love for Jesus. 
We can't take it for granted, brothers and sisters. We have to keep it stirred up. We have to keep adding oil to it. If not, we're going to find that our lamps are dying out. We become foolish if we've not made provision for keeping that fire going. Yet, I'm afraid that's what many have done. And the scriptures we call those of us who do that, oh, foolish ones, because we deceive ourselves by thinking, oh, we've got plenty of time. I'll get to that later. That's a deception. And many are falling in that direction. Oh, I, I, I know this is important. I know I need to be listening to the Lord more. I need a, I, I know I need to kind of cultivate that love. But, you know, the thing is, I just got so many things going on. Kind of reminds me of those last two weeks that we talked about in Luke 14 and Matthew 22. People always have excuses, don't they? So how does this happen? Leaving our first love, being led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, being distracted. Well, that's probably another message. Actually, it's probably a series of message, you know, messages. But basically, it's the cares of the world. It's the pleasures of the world. It doesn't even have to be bad things. We get distracted by what? So many things. The focus becomes on, I need to make money in this part of, in this time of my life. You know, I've got relationships I need to attend to. My, my, my job, my career needs my attention. Or maybe it's just, you know, hey, listen, I'm still young. I'm in my 20s or in my teens. This is the time that God's created me just to have fun. Wait a minute. That's all a deception. The way we have fun, the way that we take care of all these other things, we talked about last time, we put him first. The parable of the sower is just one place Jesus warns us of the cares of the world, the desire for riches, the pleasures of this life. Yeah, but I'm going to get to following him just a little bit later. I just need to take care of this. We've got to be careful. We're being misled. We're being led astray. Okay, let's go back to Matthew 25. And let's go back to verse 6. But at midnight there is a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. Okay, well, I think the main point here is that we cannot depend on others for keeping that fire going, for keeping that lamp burning. It's something that every one of us has to do on our own. You can't rely on mom and dad. You can't rely on a spouse. You can't rely on a good friend, brothers and sisters. You know, it's something that we all have to do. You know, getting oil for the lamp is something that's between us individually and the Lord. Verse 10. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Two things that stand out to me in this verse. One, those who are ready went into the wedding feast. And that is so consistent with what Jesus has said uh, in 
every one of these parables, right? The ones we looked at last time, you know, those who are ready went into the wedding feast. And then the other phrase, it says, and the door was shut. I mean, that has to be one of the most frightening phrases in the gospel, if not in the Bible. And I'm not saying that 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 kind of shows we lose salvation. I personally don't think that's really the case, you know. But I do believe that Jesus gave us a very big fat warning for all of us that the door does close and we need to be ready. Verse 13, probably the main point, be on the alert then, we've seen it before, for you do not know the day nor the hour. In other words, we've got to get away from just saying a little bit later and I'm gonna do this. Now, there's one other very short passage that is very similar. And I'd like for us just to take a look at that real quick. Luke 12, verse 35. It says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. Okay, uh, probably kind of summarizes there in verse 35, two things. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. That is the summary of really both of these parables, isn't it? Now, it's kind of interesting. This time, uh, it says, be like men who are waiting for their master. It's talking for men, but it's used in plural, just like... Uh, in the parable of the ten virgins, it's uh, young women, and, uh, and it's plural. And I think the point is that all of us, men and women, are waiting for the bridegroom. And another thing I like about this, this passage, it says, it actually says it twice. Blessed are those servants, or those slaves, who the Lord finds ready. Dressed in readiness and their lamps lit. And, and actually even in verse, um, uh, verse 37, it speaks of the reward that's ours. He says that, you know, that the master of the house will gird himself to serve us and we'll be reclining at the table and he'll be coming up and serving us, which again, I don't understand completely, but I do know it's speaking that we will be rewarded. So in conclusion, what is God saying to us about how we ought to live? Jesus coming back is a given. We don't know the hour. We don't know the day. We've seen that over and over. But we are to be on the alert. In particular, we need to be cultivating that love for Jesus, that first love. We need to keep that fire going. We need to be dressed in readiness. We need to keep those lamps lit. And, well, well, Mike, how do I do all that? Well, again, it's something each of us individually 
have to do with the Lord. It obviously involves getting into God's word. It obviously involves prayer. It obviously involves being in fellowship or in a biblical community with one another. And uh, But somehow, if we are finding ourselves, and there may be people who are listening to this today or this evening, whenever you're listening to this, and uh, you, as I'm speaking about losing that first love, losing that initial enthusiasm and excitement for Jesus, that adoration of Jesus, you know in your heart that, wait a minute, something is not right. And the scriptures say, that especially at the end, there's going to be quite a few people who fall in this category. And I think the word of the Lord that he's trying to speak to us as the church today is we need to take care of it. We need to get those lamps lit and burning again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Even though sometimes it's uh, it, it hits us pretty hard. And I think probably uh, a parable like this certainly does. Because Lord, many times we're not dressed in readiness. We don't have our lamps lit. We've, we've been led astray from the uh, simplicity and purity of devotion to you. Lord, we've left our first love. And Lord, all we can do is to cry out. In fact, Lord, you said repent. You know, and Lord, if that's our case today, we repent before you now. We ask, Lord, that you would that you would meet us. In fact, Lord, if, if you said to repent, Lord, it obviously means you're there ready to take us back and to get that flame, that fire started again. Lord, that's what we want. And Lord, we see very clearly today, that's part of our being ready. Our being on the alert is having those lamps lit. So Lord, we ask by your grace that you would do that. Thank you, Father. Amen.